This is Tragic Theater, the first of three books written by author G.M. Coronel. Tragic Theater was first published in the Philippines in 2009 and made into a movie in 2015. This podcast presents the story in the way the author had envisioned minus the native dialect. Each chapter is presented as an episode. This podcast is intended for mature audiences. It contains strong language and adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Tragic Theater, Prologue On the early morning of November 17, 1981, at 2.30 a.m., tragedy struck the construction site of the half-finished Manila Film Center. A scaffolding and its wooden support collapsed, sending an entire floor and six giant beams crashing 30 feet down to the area of the main theater. The accident buried more than 150 workers below at what was to be the orchestra section, in newly dried cement and a tangle of wood and steel. The structure was then being rushed to completion in time for the first Manila International Film Festival scheduled two months away. Official government reports however, place the fatalities at only seven. A project of the government. The film center was to hold the simultaneous screening of films entered in the festival and play host to invited local and foreign celebrities. Fearing that it may not be finished in time for the Filmfest opening, the order was given a few days later, to halt the rescue operation and resume construction. Many of those trapped were still alive, and were even heard desperately calling out for help, when layers of fresh cement were poured over, entombing them with their dead comrades. Stories abound that some limbs that jutted out of the floor had to be chopped off. Designed by architect Froilan Hong, the six-story film center was patterned after the Parthenon in Greece. Its blueprint showed a vast interior that includes six theaters, six preview rooms, a film archive and several offices. The massive structure was envisioned to provide a world-class venue for an event that would rival the Cannes Film Festival. Due to a very tight schedule, 8,000 men worked round the clock to beat the deadline and finish it in record time. In an effort to counter the effects of the tragic event, the place was ordered exorcised. The film center was barely completed when it opened its doors to a grand inauguration coinciding with the start of the 1982 Manila International Film Festival. The night was a star-studded affair as several Hollywood celebrities like Jack Valenti, Akiro Kurosawa, George Hamilton, Peter O'Toole and Brooke Shields were in attendance, though many others begged off. A number of critically acclaimed films, like Richard Attenborough's Gandhi were exhibited during the week-long event. However, it was a financial failure as the expected windfall from the festival failed to offset the huge production cost of its staging. In the end, the Philippine Central Bank had to cough up a large amount to cover the shortfall. The following year, the second Manila International Film Festival was an even bigger disappointment. Lacking were the big Hollywood names from the year before. Very few quality foreign films were entered. Instead, movies with pornographic materials dominated the screens. Festival organizers came under fire from several critics. As a result, the 1983 Film Festival was the last to be held. To sustain its operation, the Film Center became a regular screening venue for uncensored Filipino films under the short-lived experimental cinema of the Philippines. In spite of widespread criticism, it enjoyed a huge following as long lines of crowd could be seen each screening day, snaking around the exterior of the building two or three times over, queuing for tickets to watch films containing explicit sex scenes. Around this time, 
security guards regularly reported hearing mysterious voices and sounds of construction work within the building at night. After several months, these became frequent that even some moviegoers were starting to witness ghostly apparitions in the restrooms. Rumors started flying around Manila that the film center was haunted. At the same time, the country's political and economic crisis brought about by the 1983 assassination of former Senator Ninoy Aquino reached a high point. Attendance slowly started to dwindle. In the aftermath of the 1986 People Power Revolution that ousted President Ferdinand Marcos, the experimental cinema of the Philippines was abolished. And on June 1st of that year, the Manila Film Center, owing to its huge operating expenses, was ordered to cease operation. A skeletal staff was retained to oversee its maintenance. Rather than leave it underutilized, the new government made use of the film center's other facilities by transferring the Department of Foreign Affairs Passport Division to the vacant offices. The main theater occasionally played host to local movie premieres and other productions. It did not take long before employees started exchanging stories of hearing unexplained noises and witnessing poltergeist activities. Others found themselves at the receiving end of mysterious pranks. No one would dare to stay too late in the office for fear of an encounter with a restless soul. It was then that the film center's notoriety was firmly established. It came to be known as the Philippines' most famous haunted building. The Foreign Affairs Department eventually deserted the building after the 1990 killer earthquake when several large cracks appeared on the walls. It was turned into a storage area for old equipment and soon fell into disrepair. For 11 years the film center was completely abandoned and left to deteriorate. Efforts were made by some groups to make contact with its otherworldly occupants. Several seances were conducted in the middle part of the 1990s to communicate with the spirits of the victims in an attempt to mollify them. A mass was even held during the 15th anniversary of the tragedy with a certain former government official invited to attend, but who declined at the last minute. The spirits remained and continued to haunt the desolate building. Anyone who had been inside had a story to tell. Then in early 1999, our story began.